If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Today on CityCast Madison. There's a primary next week for an election the New York Times said would carry bigger policy stakes than any other contest in America this year. And that's for a seat on the Wisconsin Supreme Court. There are four candidates running, and we've invited them all on the show. Today, we hear from Judge Janet Protasewicz, who has been a Milwaukee County Circuit Court judge for the past nine years. It's Monday, February 13th. I'm Bianca Martin, and here's what Madison's talking about. Good morning, Judge. Good morning. So let's get straight to it. Why should Madison voters vote for you? Madison voters should vote for me because I'm the most experienced. We have the best opportunity to beat the far right wing extremists on April 4th. The depth of support that I have crosses the entire state. Lots of support in Dane County, lots of support in Milwaukee County, but support across our entire state. I'm a candidate who brings change, a candidate who brings common sense, a candidate who gets a finger off the scale. But importantly, we are the candidate who is going to win this election on April 4th. And why do you want this job? I'll tell you, I sat back in April and started thinking about this position and how much I wanted it. And the reason I wanted it was so that we could bring back change and common sense to our Supreme Court. I have always revered working in the courts. I think that the courts should be a bastion of dignity and integrity. And I watch the extreme uber-partisanship that's been unfolding on our Wisconsin Supreme Court for the past number of years. I looked at decisions that appeared to me to be rendered based on politics, rendered based on, you know, who knew who, rendered because there was a thumb on the scale. And there are so many so many issues that all of us care about that are going to be coming before the court in the next number of years that I decided to run. Yeah. And how has your time on the Milwaukee County Court prepared you for the Wisconsin State Supreme Court? I've had a long period of time on the circuit court and I've handled some of the most challenging cases in Milwaukee County. As you may know, we have a rising problem with homicides. We have a very challenging sexual assault situation in Milwaukee County. And I have handled that calendar for three years. And those are really hard cases where you're making determinations while you're upholding a person's constitutional rights. You're working really hard to protect the community and protect victims and keep the community safe on some of the most challenging cases. Before that, I did over two years in a really intense drug court with some of the most challenging, you know, drug dealers in our community that are tearing our community apart and the fabric of our community apart. I learned a lot about weighing evidence there. I learned a lot about the Fourth Amendment. A lot of those cases entail, you know, um, Fourth Amendment challenges, search and seizure challenges. 
But before that, I did domestic violence cases. And the situation with those domestic violence cases was, again, working hard to protect victims, but also attempting to take our offenders, the offenders that were, you know, that we could work with. And there are lots of offenders in domestic violence court that you can work with and get them into appropriate programming so that the circle of violence will stop so that they can be productive family members and parents to their kids and productive partners moving forward. So I've had such a wide variety of experience across the board in circuit court in Milwaukee that has really helped me prepare myself for this particular role. And you said you've always revered working in the court system. What originally got you interested in getting in and working in the justice system? I'll tell you, since I was a kid, I just loved everything that had to do with justice and fairness and our courts. And, you know, maybe that was those trips to Washington, D.C. when we were in you know, grade school and junior high school with our family. But I just knew that it was what I wanted to do. So when I went to undergrad, I majored in history. And, you know, with a history degree, you know, what can you do? You can continue to study history or you can go to law school. There aren't really that many options, right? And so I really knew that by studying history, I could flow right into what I wanted to do. So I had those four years really studying early American history. Then I went to law school at Marquette, and it was everything I expected it to be and more. You know, the rigorous thinking, the logic, the case law, the analysis. And it's just, it's utterly fascinating. And then when I finished law school, I knew I didn't want to work in a big law firm. I wanted to do something where I was in those courtrooms. And I was very, very fortunate to be appointed an assistant district attorney in Milwaukee County. And I'll tell you, I mean, people might laugh. I'm like, that Milwaukee County Courthouse, it's like a big high school where nobody graduates because everybody knows everybody throughout the years. And you're in those courtrooms and you're handling those cases and it's stimulating and it's interesting. And every day you go to court when you're an assistant district attorney and in Milwaukee County, at least, what was so interesting is our role when we pick up our big pile of files in the morning and go to court was to, quote, do justice unquote. It was never about how many convictions can you rack up. It was about you go and you do the right thing for everybody who's involved. You go and you do justice. And it was such a, you know, inspiring and wonderful credo that I held myself to every day. And so that was that was it was a phenomenal experience. And you mentioned those early trips to DC. Is there a justice currently on the US Supreme Court that you'd say reflects your judicial approach today? Well, I have to say that, you know, my favorite justice on our Supreme Court of all time is Ruth Bader Ginsburg, right? And I actually even have a Ruth, I had one of my friends make me a really cool Ruth Bader Ginsburg jacket replete with pearls and a portrait of her on the back. But I would say that right now, when I look at our Supreme Court, Sonia Santamayor and what she is doing, I I find to be utterly remarkable. So it's interesting. This is an officially nonpartisan race, yet the ideological balance of the court will be decided by this election. How do you appeal to voters when justices are supposed to remain impartial? I'll tell you, I am hoping that I will get all the progressive voters. <laughs> I w- well, I would like to get every voter in the state, but we know that's impossible, right? <laughs> I would like, you know, I should get all the progressive voters, I would think. Anybody who's middle of the road 
And I think anybody who leans right, but not far right, because the, you know, I mean, I understand that the far right is likely going to go to my far right opponent. I get that. But I would think, you know, and I actually just had people on the right have an event for me last week. And I think it's because people really want that common sense and fairness coming back. And a lot of people really also are concerned about some of the social issues. You know, people are concerned about those maps. People are concerned about women's right to choose. And I'm always very, very careful when I talk to people about those issues where I explain, you know, these are my personal values, but of course, I follow the law. I uphold the Constitution. Do I think a woman has a right to choose and um, make her own reproductive right decisions? Of course I do. And so, you know, the question is then, do you follow the law? Of course you follow the law, where the law leads you. But I think that so many people who, you know, lean right agree with that analysis. They're also sick of the partisanship. And then there are issues like, you know, our community safety. And my gosh, community safety, you know, crosses every political spectrum. Everybody thinks that their neighborhoods should be safe. Everybody wants their family and their kids to be able to go outside and be safe. Everybody wants to drive down the street and not have to be concerned about a reckless driver, you know, T-boning them on their way to work and upending their whole life. That is if they maintain having their life after that. So there are all these issues that are really central to the electorate as a whole, quite frankly. Definitely. And, you know, you mentioned a few issues that I wanted to bring up, but I want to know what is, what would you say is the most significant decision facing the court? I can tell you what I think might come before the court, right? Because there's no, you know, the um, right to choose is not in front of the court right now. That will have to come before the court. Whether or not that happens, when it, I should guess I should say when it happens is the more um, likely response. I'll tell you quite frankly, if one of my opponents on the right wins in April, that elect, that um, abortion ban is going to stand. That case isn't going to come before the Supreme Court. I can tell you that unequivocally. If, in fact, we are able to flip this court to a four to three majority of people who are independent and follow the law, I would suspect that that case would be coming before the court. I would anticipate that some type of litigation regarding the gerrymandering of the maps would come before the court. People have asked me whether or not I thought Act 10 could be revisited. And, you know, I said, you know, my analysis of Act 10 is that I agree with the dissent in that case? Is there a way that it could come back before the court? I think it's possible. I mean, I just think that there are so many issues that are possible or probable that can come before our Supreme Court when we change the balance of power. I would also say that it's something really, really critical for people to understand, and that is that the elections, the results of the 2024 presidential election, I believe are highly likely to come before our Supreme Court chamber. You know, Wisconsin's a battleground state. We have very, very close statewide elections. We know that the results of the 2020 presidential election ended up in the Supreme Court chamber. I think it's likely that the results of the 2024 election, assuming it's close, as people anticipate it will be, will be back in front of the Supreme Court. Right. Well, you know, I hear a little bit of you having to be considerate about what you say um, in, in the election. So 
the Republican Party of Wisconsin has alleged that you violated the Wisconsin Judicial Code of Conduct for comments you made during the campaign. How do you respond to that charge? Well, that's obviously a trumped up charge by the Republican Party. And I think that they're concerned about, you know, just how much people care about this election. I have been extraordinarily careful to tell people what my personal values are with the backdrop that I always have to follow the law and uphold the Constitution. And I think the people of the state of Wisconsin deserve to know what the values of their candidates are. They absolutely deserve to know that. I also, quite frankly, don't believe for a second that some of the candidates on the right who are saying one thing at a forum that's being widely viewed and watched are saying the same thing when they are being interviewed by, you know, far right groups that are making endorsements, such as, you know, Wisconsin Right to Life and other groups that don't support a woman's right to choose, even when incest or rape are involved. And I don't believe for a second that they're going into those interviews and saying, yeah, we're going to let the chips fall where they may, and we're going to follow the law and uphold the Constitution. I don't believe it. So, you know, I believe that they are tailoring their messages depending on their audience. You're going to hear me tell, say the same thing no matter who I'm talking to. I'm going to tell you the same thing. I'm going to tell you these are my values. These are my thoughts. But in the end, bottom line, I follow the law. There's some talk of the fact that your campaign is being seen as supported by the Democratic establishment in the state. Do you agree with that? And could that be seen as a liability in a nonpartisan race? What do you make of that? I'm honored to have the support of any entity, group, political party, individual who wants to support me. Absolutely honored. The stakes in this race are incredibly high, incredibly high. Everything that people care about is going to be determined by who wins this election. And I mean everything, everything from, you know, um, like we talked about, a woman's right to abortion, everything we talked about regarding gerrymandering, you know, clean water, safe communities, um, the 2024 presidential election, everything we care about is going to be coming in front of that Supreme Court chamber, absolutely everything. So, you know, I would say to detractors that I am happy to have support from the Democratic Party. I would also be happy to have support from any other political party that wants to support me. I think my message is really pretty universal. Yeah. And looking ahead to April, who would you want to run against? I think that um, either candidate, quite frankly, (laughs) is pretty much the same. I think they both have, you know, far right wing, out of touch, extreme views. I think they'll both have their thumb on the scale. Um, You know, in regard to fairness, we had, you know, we had a forum in Madison. We talked about a recusal rule. You know, they're both opposed to a recusal rule. And, you know, that's pretty basic when you consider what's going on, you know, in our state and, you know, trying to maintain. For those who don't know what that means, could you quickly just share the recusal rule? Yeah, absolutely. So the recusal rule, and remember, Wisconsin right now, we don't have a recusal rule on our Supreme Court. That means in certain instances, a Supreme Court justice should recuse or take themselves off of a case. And primarily, we're talking about in in the Supreme Court, you know, um, you know, financial contributors. Now, there is a there's an amount of money that an individual can contribute to a political campaign. 
And, you know, I think that everybody on the Supreme Court can probably figure out if somebody has made an individual maximum contribution, whether or not they can be fair on the case. I give them that. People know people on cases, too. We know people on cases all the time. People should be able to generally determine whether they can be fair if you know somebody on a case. However, what I'm talking about are millions of dollars in outside money coming in from entities and organizations that will then have a case in front of the Supreme Court. And, you know, my opponents say, so be it. We can be fair. We can make a determination as to whether or not we should be on a case or not on a case. If all of this money has been donated to us or to our campaign, well, I say no. (laughs) There should be some semblance of not only an appearance of fairness, but actual fairness. If somebody's dumping millions of dollars into your campaign and then it's in front of you in the Supreme Court, are you really, even if you say you can be fair, can you really be fair? And so that would be what the recusal rule would be that there would be a time when a justice shouldn't be on a case. And what I've said is that I think the public should weigh in and there should be a public hearing and the public should weigh in and make a determination as to, you know, how much is too much money where that justice just probably can't be fair. Or even if they can, it just looks so unfair because that's one of the things that we always talk about in our courts is, Not only should people be treated fairly, but there's also the appearance of impropriety. You know, you want the courts to stand apart from the other branches of government. You want all that dignity there. You want the integrity there. You want those scales of justice to be even. You want people to have a fair shot when they go into the courtroom. And, you know, with, you know, with a recusal rule, we can well move, move towards that. Thank you for ex- yeah explaining that. Um, and it, it is a very crucial and important piece of the conversation. And we appreciate your time this morning. Judge Protasewicz, thank you for joining us on CityCast Madison. Great. Thank you so much. That's Milwaukee County Judge Janet Protasewicz. She is one of the four candidates in the upcoming Wisconsin Supreme Court election. We'll be speaking with Dane County Judge Everett Mitchell on Wednesday. Waukesha Judge Jennifer Doro and former Wisconsin Supreme Court Justice Dan Kelly did not want to be interviewed. That invitation still stands, by the way. That primary election is next Tuesday, February 21st. The top two candidates will advance on to the general election on April 4th. To look up where you vote or what you need to do to register, check out (laughs) myvote.wi.gov. And here's what else Madison's talking about. There's a new effort at UW-Madison to help low-income students. Chancellor Jennifer Manukin introduced a new aid program called Bucky's Pell Pathway. It would pay for the full cost of education for students who qualify for the federal Pell Grant. The hope is that students who demonstrate exceptional financial need can graduate without debt. That program will start this fall, and as a former Pell grantee, I dig it. Also, you may have noticed that it is still friggin' cold outside. Or maybe you haven't because you've lost all feelings in your hands and legs. For these fridgy days, it's nice to feel things, you know, have sensations. Have you checked out the Nitro Beverage Lounge? They just had their grand opening last Friday, 
They offer colorful cocktails with things like edible flowers. And no, this isn't a commercial. I just felt like you might want to check it out. <laughs> That's all for today here on CityCast Madison. I'm Bianca Martin. If you enjoyed the show, why not tell former Wisconsin Supreme Court Justice Dan Kelly about us? I just really would like to interview him. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more stories from around the city. Until next time. Yeah.